Good morning and top of the morning to you on this beautiful, gorgeous day. Today, as I enter the world, I will approach my experiences with the idea that I know less than I know. I will allow my curiosity and powers of observation to be my tool today, and my mouth can just take a break. The intention today is to gain more knowledge, understanding, tolerance, and wisdom. Now bring it on today. I am ready. Are you? It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. the crude life morning show play hard work hard my name is jason spies myra vargas of amigo pipe is the special guest co-host today and we're going to get to midland mayor patrick payton in just a second sworn in in 2020 so a few weeks before the world fell apart he was sworn in so i can't wait to hear about his first year in office but we're at the shale energy resources trade show here at the conference at the permian basin association of pipeliners They've been kind enough to let us use their picnic table, the picnic table. <laughs> and uh, we're sitting here, and Frackleberry Hound is underfoot the Crude Life booth in the industrial forest right across the red carpet. So thank you, folks, for joining us here today. Myra, how are you? I'm doing great this morning, Jason. How are you? Good morning, everyone, by the way. I'm glad that you had a chance to make it out here. I understand that you've had a day like everybody else, which is 15 places at one time. Yes, sir, absolutely. Yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday, yes. today, tomorrow, and the next. All right. <laughs> Let's bring in Midland Mayor Patrick Payton. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Thanks for letting me be here. Well, I appreciate you coming out. And I, first of all, I, I'm kind of honored you're here because you were in one of our news stories. Okay, okay. so... <laughs> We, we do a segment called News, Rumors, and Newspeak, because we're not sure we're getting. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I have not seen any of the stories before we I get them raw, I react to them, and then your story was in there, and I thought it was really cool, and I don't know if this was in the story or if this was just the name that I called it, uh, the Million Mayor March, which <laughs> yeah. is basically you want to get a bunch of mayors energized about oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And I want to get to that, but first I want to get to COVID. So let's start off by you being sworn in. What was your first year like? And then we're going to get to the second year, which is energizing America. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It's great to be on the show with you guys, and it's great to be at a at a trade show where everybody's walking around, and you're in West Texas, and you'd be in the minority if you were wearing a mask around here. And uh, this has been a great city to lead through this whole thing, really, quite frankly. But um you know, it. Uh, I was elected. We had a great, great campaign, and then all of a sudden, we're sworn in January 13th. Got a great six weeks through February. I think it was March the 8th or 9th. Your listeners are going to know the exact date. My son, who lives in Houston, who's in the financial world, he sends me a text and he says it's looking bad out there. It's getting bloody. This was on Sunday night. Oh, wow. And I said, "What are you talking about?" And he goes, "Oil's tanking. Everything's shutting down. Markets are shutting down." And I'd only heard briefly a little bit about this Wuhan thing going on, so we didn't know what was going on. In fact, we'd already made jokes about the America would America would never shut down like they did Wuhan, a city of 11 million people. And then a week later, I'm out of town on a business trip up in Oklahoma City, and my phones start blowing up. They said, you got to get back. And so I can't get a flight. I drive back to Midland. It's seven hours. Go to the basement of City Hall, and we're basically having a war room. What's going to happen here? And we're getting phone calls from all over the, the state telling us Trump's getting ready to shut the country down, calling out the National Guard. And so that was uh, about... 
eight weeks into it, and then Midland shut down, uh, the industry shut down, the country shut down, and then we started hearing all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think my first meeting was medical professionals telling me I'd have 2,000 dead people on my hands in two months. I better order refrigerator trucks. And then another group of people who came in and said, if you shut this city down, you're a raging socialist communist. So, you know, there's no middle ground here at this thing at all. But it's been an incredible journey. And not only that, we had the economy shut down. We had the coronavirus. We also had communist protesters here for four weeks. Um, that was a wow. whole other amazing well, I, story. I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, we had communist protesters here from sponsored by the Chinese government who came here to protest a resident we have here who's a freedom fighter for uh, people in China. He was a protester at Tiananmen Square and escaped China. It's a huge, amazing story of how he gets to Midland, Texas. And one Saturday morning, I get a phone call. It's the uh, middle of the summer, and they said, hey, there's protesters, Chinese protesters, all standing in front of this gentleman's house. I've never talked to the FBI more times in one month than I did at that particular time. We ended up having to extricate him from here and on a flight to an undisclosed city. So that was a whole other issue. It was being orchestrated from an apartment overlooking, um, what's that fancy park in New York? I always want to call it Times Square. It's not Times Square. Central Park. Central Park. And a gazillionaire. It was about a month long, and... Even being followed and tracked when I was travel traveling. So I mean, dude, you can just—it's just crazy. And then just the 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 fight we had over how you're going to handle coronavirus. Are you going to wear masks? You're not going to wear masks. But there's one thing about West Texas and probably North Dakota and Pennsylvania and oil towns is we fight differently. And mm-hmm. um, absolutely, I'm hoping we take that same fight to recapture the narrative on oil and gas. Well, I hope so. And I wanted to share a COVID story because your polarity that you got from your constituents, which is you're a socialist to, hey, way to go, you yeah. know, to just from both sides. That that was interesting to me because I, I felt the same thing. And I thought, boy, this is a health crisis here. How can we be so far apart on something like this? And it reminded me of an interview I did like four or five years ago with a Navy SEAL. And I mean, once I got over the coolness of, yeah. you know, the yeah, training and everything right else, right, <laughs> yeah. I go, so what do you do with that afterwards? You know, you're 40 years old, you're no longer useful to the Navy SEALs. How can you make money out in the yeah. real world? And he goes, oh, Jason, there's a lot of ways. And one of the ways he said is that there's like the FBI or the CIA or some high level government agency will hire these Navy SEALs as a consultant. And one of the jobs they did was to figure out how to navigate a terrorist attack on Vegas because, get this, they could not foresee the economy in Vegas shutting down for one day. Mm. So when COVID happened and Vegas shut down, I texted texted my friends, okay, it's legit now, even more than March Madness. Did you see the pictures of Vegas shut down? I was there. It was like ghost town. I was in Vegas at a golf tournament the day they put in their mask mandate. Oh, wow. And and everything was just, you know, you couldn't go to the spa. Even when you went to the pool, it was kind of awkward. Golf tournament was kind of crazy that we were playing in. I mean, who was the Navy SEAL? I'm sorry? Who was the Navy SEAL? His name escapes me right now. Because I just finished an amazing book called Can't Hurt Me by Dave Goggins. Have you heard mm-hmm. of this dude who's a Navy SEAL? No. no. Recommend the book. I wish I could. Oh, the names. It was around that when they started making the movie Navy SEAL 6. Mm-hmm. It was during that time, so I had a lot of names thrown at me. Well, he didn't remember your name before the podcast, so I mean. That's true. I it's know, right? Thing, right? I'm writing down these days. I didn't remember <laughs> so how to pronounce it. it. So Myra? Mispronounce- there we go. <laughs> 
We could go all over the place here. I so, know, true story. I mispronounced Mike Pompeo's name too. Nice. You got to interview Pompeo. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, we, cool. Yeah. Well, I didn't get to interview him on record. Uh, <laughs> I sent in our crude life correspondent to, and she got the first and third question. She's been Jenica Hauser is her name. She's actually going to be doing the hosting on the uh, Real Oil Field Women. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're actually launching it here. It's a weekly program that's going to be hosted by a woman to talk about women's issues in the oil patches that no one else will talk about. Yeah. We're going to give them a voice of civility. Yeah. And some of these are going to be a little difficult topics to yeah, talk about. Yeah. I can't wait for that. I definitely cannot wait for that. I wrote my intro this morning because we're going to have uh, uh, Chris Moore, the voice of the West Texas. She's on the uh, morning show on 550 AM. I couldn't think of a better person to navigate a Mm -hmm. discussion like that than her. So uh, she's going to do that. Of course, Jenica is going to hand off after that. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, I met him. Did not get an interview. Uh, Trump, too. Trying to think of a few other people. I've met a few people. uh, uh, Matt Rose is another one. Matt Rose, uh, the old uh, BNSF chairman. And these guys have been nice enough to talk to me off yeah. the record. Yeah. yeah. And I appreciate that more than right. anything because it sends me in the direction to go. Yeah. And to go get some, you know, go sniff out the news or go sniff no out whatever. No doubt. Uh, so when you were in Vegas, have you talked to any of the... I want to get to the Million Mayor March now. Let's, <laughs> okay. right. You mentioned Vegas, so I thought that would be a good transition into, into there. Uh, have you talked to any other mayors at all. I know you mentioned that you know Steve Mayor Steve Bakken and you've collaborated on some things in the past, but have you talked to Mayor Bakken and talked to the Vegas mayor about your idea about this just whatever what it, well first of all what is the idea yeah, what is yeah. the name of the million mayor march because i got to call it something else <laughs> well it really was an idea that started in my first official mayoral trip was to the um u.s conference of mayors in washington dc you know it's exactly what you would think the title says it is it's where all the mayors from across the country show up and it didn't take long for me to realize this was the u.s conference of democrat mayors and u.s conference of environmentalist activist mayors and so i just sort of watched patiently I went to the breakout session that was supposed to be about the climate and energy, and it was led by Mayor Garcetti from Los Angeles, who's no friend of oil and gas. And we were supposed to be, we were all supposed to have an open mic to be able to talk. And he talked the entire hour and a half. We didn't get a chance to speak, so there was a press gaggle outside the door. I walked out to the press gaggle, and I just stopped in the middle of it, and I said, are any of you willing to talk to someone about the true story of oil and gas, the value of it? And I said, and the fact that you can never be green unless you go through black gold. And they said, well, who do we talk to? And I said, me. So we started having a conversation. I realized there was going to be no audience for this, but I also realized if you watch the political landscape right now, how many mayors are making the news, whether it's the Portland mayor, whether it's a Seattle mayor, whether it's Mayor Garcetti, there's all of a sudden this elevation of the role of mayor. And part of that is because you deal with all the legislation that comes down on you at a local level. You've got to manage that. So the idea as I'm sitting in my hotel room was, I think energy city mayors better get their act together because we understand oil and gas and what it does for our communities and the world better than anybody else. So that led to a couple of conversations with uh, Continental Oil and Gas, with some associations here. It's been a slow roll. People have been a little bit afraid to engage. Uh, and part of that's because the narrative has been stolen by the radical environmental agenda and it's been t- twisted and torched. So. Now we've finally gotten some leverage. It looks like we're going to head to Washington, D.C. in September. Our um, Fantastic. our anticipations are to not have any press conferences. We really don't want to um, make it a show. 
we want to go and knock on the doors of senators and congressmen from both sides of the aisle and say, let us just tell you the story of oil and gas and let us tell you why, how important it is and give you the true information that you need to have, especially coming from places like the Permian Basin, where we really produce energy more than anybody else, not just oil and gas, but wind and solar. And we're talking about all kinds of energy, whether it's hydrogen, don't have much use here for hydro because we really don't have any rivers to speak of that can capture that. And, and so now the some of the oil and gas companies have been getting interested in this. But, you know, to be honest about it, some of our larger publicly traded oil and gas companies have sort of capitulated to the narrative. And so who we're talking with now are a lot of service companies. Because as you know, in, in this whole realm you're in, the, the big E&Ps are really just pushing all these costs down for the environmental piece down to the service sector and the service mm-hmm, companies. Mm-hmm. That's going to come back to bite us in a few months if we don't, or a couple of years. If we don't get this thing Couple figured minutes. out and have a better conversation, oh, yeah. and what we figured out is in D.C. you have a radical noisy left and a radical noisy right. Let's think of the election, the presidential election. Let's just say, I don't want to get into a discussion about who won and who didn't and what's stolen and what's not. But let's just say the electorate is divided 75 million to 75 million and the radical edges are represented and talked to the most. We firmly believe that in the middle is a group of congressmen and legislators who just need to know the right story so that they can then turn the page of history, so to speak, in legislation. And we've got the, we, we've got all, all the news is on our side. If we can just go down and sit and sit next to them. For instance, I was being interviewed by Texas Monthly, you know, which is not exactly oil and gas friendly. I'm familiar with them. And, and mm-hmm. so the young interviewer has a microphone in front of me with a windscreen, you know, the little fuzzy thing. And his last question is, how do you feel about being the mayor of a city that's destroying the, the climate? And I just hmm. kind of paused for a minute. As a trained I, journalist, boy, that's nothing yeah, leading about great that. Question. Yeah, go on. And I said, well, I have a question a tough for you. Question. <laughs> I said, do you have any idea what products were used to make this fuzzy thing? And he said, no. And I said, it's a byproduct of oil and gas. And I said, and if you drove a Tesla here, there's a thousand pounds of plastic in that thing that's all made from oil and gas, not to mention the tires and the natural gas burned that you can plug into to charge it. And, and he said, I've never heard that. And I said, you're telling me you've never even given a thought to the fact that the Vans tennis shoes you're wearing are not possible without oil and gas. He said, no. And I said, that's the problem. You don't even realize that a windmill produces nothing. A solar panel produces nothing outside of if you can capture it and save it and transport it. But I said, oil and gas makes your life possible. And that's where it started. A lot of people don't realize how many petroleum-based products they use on a daily basis. Not a clue. Makeup. Exactly. Everything up to 96% of what we use on a daily basis. I've seen 93. I've seen 90. So call it 90. We'll go on the low side. Call it 80. Well, here's the reality is that to move away from a fossil fuel society in my lifetime, even if to bring it down, let's say I live another 40 years, okay? If if we were to move it down to, say, 70%, that would be incredible. Mm -hmm. That would absolutely be incredible as I look around and I see hermetically sealed things. I I always tell people, so when it comes to your COVID vaccine, would you like a reusable vaccine or, you know, because we put it in the washer at Chili's, just like they do with the dishes. That's how we got to sterilize them, right? Because there's a lot of medical equipment. I mean, you take a look at most of the medical or most of the uh, energy grid at any city, it's your emergency services that make up 50%. 60% of it. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about police and ambulance and hospitals, that's easily 60%. Uh, I did want to mention, you you brought up uh, this kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Awareness. Mm -hmm. Just, Just creating the awareness. So, I don't come from oil. 
Yeah. I've only been in oil for 10 years. I didn't even know anything about oil at all. Okay. I mean, I call hot shotters deadheads because in my world, they were called deadheads. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I've been learning for the last 10 years, but luckily I'm an easy study. I do believe <laughs> I can offer something to the oil and gas industry, and it's this. I watched what is happening to you right now twice. Okay. Oh, wow, yes. First time I watched watched it with the ag industry. Mm-hmm. I watched when the grocery store replaced the farmer. Every Thanksgiving, every Sunday dinner after church, I heard my uncle farmers complain about the grocery store complain. Do you know where those peas came from? Do you know where that came from? Yeah, the frozen food section, grandpa. <laughs> the press sand, you know? Yeah. Whatever, you're not But cool. you were a quick study, so you figured Well, it out. I, I, yeah. I saw this, you know, that type of thing. So I, I started seeing, oh, the energy industry is getting replaced by the light switch. Ooh, in the same way that, that the uh, farmers got replaced by the mm. grocery store. Now, I come from publishing. 40, I, I'm 46 years old. I started in publishing when I was 10 years old as a newspaper carrier. Every day I learned distribution. And by the way, we had to collect. So I learned receivables. Okay. <laughs> okay, so you I, get it too. Yeah, bicycle, basket in front. You bet. Oh, yeah, I, fold the papers every Well, you were one of five. the rich kids, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dogs chasing me on Sunday Oh, morning. totally. Yeah. So uh, I watched the internet replace the newspaper, okay? So, and when you, watch, when you see the LA Times and Chicago Tribune, these companies, had monopolies for a hundred years and they went, out, they went bankrupt in 10 years after the internet came so that's a paradigm shift farmers went through a paradigm shift when, once the logistics and the grocery stores came in and right now because of what's going on in oil and gas and just the whole thing there's a paradigm shift there you, you look at well, I mean, we can go to the wellhead and, and talk to our blue in the face about the paradigm shifts of innovation, but the easiest one to connect with people is HR, okay? Before big data came, okay, before big data and the paradigm shift came, there were roughnecks that would start up in Alaska and rape and pillage their way all the way through the U.S. because they would get hired because they had experience, and it would take two to three weeks for a background check. Well, they're like drywallers. Get the check, go to the next. You know, get the job, oh, yeah. go to the next. Well, now, because of this paradigm shift, HR knows exactly who you are before you walk in. That has made the industry safer. It has made it more reliable. It has made it a better uh, public image to the rest of the world, too. I don't hear anything about these guys slinging chains anymore. No. Oh, no. All I hear about is how they're helping people and how they're doing this. So, anyway, I just wanted to bring up that paradigm shift with the farmer example. Well, let me press in on the yes. farmer example because I think it's different than a paradigm shift. I think it's an evolution. Um, Fair. And so, and what I mean by an evolution is we still have grocery stores and we still have farmers. But you're never going to hear a grocery chain say, we can do without the farmer. What's happening in our industry, what has happened in our industry, is the grocery store, i.e. the environmental movement, has said, we don't need farmers anymore. They don't, they're not even aware that you get green peas from a farm field. And so this whole industry, that, to use your example of the grocery store, is saying, we don't need anybody to grow anything. We don't need anybody to produce cows. We don't need anybody to do that. We can just be grocery stores that take deliveries from trucks. And they have no idea. They do the, what they do because of turning dirt and farms, even if they're big manufacturing farms. And so eventually they all realize, wait, we all got to have each other. And so now they're all lobbying for the farm bill and everything else. What we've had is this, this radical departure from reality. And what we need is an energy revolution. 
evolution where we're all understanding this together. Because I've traveled to Africa, I've traveled to Hong Kong, I've traveled around the world. I've even, you know, stayed in huts in my travels when I was a pastor previously. And at 8 o'clock at night, all of a sudden the power goes off because everything is solar powered or they don't have enough energy to for people to have electricity. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to live somewhere where you have two to three billion people who have no access to reliable energy and you can put a windmill up in front of their house, but the everyday citizen doesn't have it. Nobody that has a brain in the energy producing sector of oil and gas is saying alternative energy sources are bad. Nobody's saying that. They are saying reliability is an issue, but energy evolution is the future, just like grocery supply chain was the future. You know, no longer was it going to be a farmer's market. Now it's a big market, but the farmers bring it to market. And so that's a little bit of the evolution of the industry we're in. But our industry that we talk about and represent has just done a horrible job of describing itself, what it does. And now when you look at the commercials that come out from the big boys, they don't even talk about what they produce. They talk about that they're growing algae or they talk about how they're put, growing, you know, Ford Motor Company talks about growing a grass on the top of their roof. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And, and it's, so it's, you know, I, I was interviewed by a guy in Washington, D.C. and he said his leading question, why do you guys hate polar bears? That's and I said, well, okay. we don't. They well, make really good rugs. But I, and then I after say, that, that's, ah! a, that's a deep dive on the research. He's like, yeah, that guy's got yeah. a polar bear rug in his house. And I just told him, I said, you, you totally have a caricature of people who work in the oil and gas industry that all we do is run around and rape and pillage everything when the fact of the matter is we're probably the most responsible environmental people in the culture. But we have allowed the narrative since the late 60s and early 70s to completely take over. That's why when Chris Wright from Liberty posts what he posts, it's it's so revolutionary because some skater or some some skier in Colorado who's busy smoking his legal doobie while he's going down the um, run and he says he's green doesn't realize his snowboard it's is made from oil and gas. Petroleum-based product. Yep. I mean, it's just we have allowed the narrative to be captured. So I'm going to turn it over to Meyer Vargas for a second here because I believe this next paradigm shift or evolution is this the females coming into leadership mm-hmm. roles. And, and Myra is one of the leaders down here in the Permian. Um, I believe that this next evolution or revolution is going to be ushered in by females, and I think they can grab a hold of this narrative and help oil and gas in a way that... The industry doesn't really know how to handle it yet or deal with it yet. So uh, I'm just going to hand it off to you a little bit to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, what do you want to see done in the industry and, and how can the mayor help you? I mean, he, he's, your, he's your mayor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're representing women and minorities and also, have, uh, well, down here, I'm not sure if you're a minority, but... Uh, I used that. to be at one point, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. We're not minorities anymore. I, I, I was going to say, I had to correct myself on that. And the, but family businesses are becoming a minority now. So oh, that, yes, that, they are. Mm-hmm. They're, they're getting bought out by major companies. Absolutely. Constantly. We've already been asked to be bought out a couple of times, but we refused. But it's getting to the point where we might have to sell just to keep up because of the bigger corporations just taking over everything. Right. They're merging mm-hmm. constantly. And, that, and that's part of what, what, what's oh, yeah. happening in things. And I, I've been in the oil and gas industry for about 17 years. And when I first started out, I could name like maybe three women. Yeah, it's that, dudes. 
that were part of the oil and gas industry yeah. with my position. You didn't have female operation managers in the oil and gas industry. You didn't have female dispatchers. You didn't have a lot of female in anything. So when a lot of men had to deal with me, they were just like, wow, some of them refused to. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was really tough. I mean, but because I grew up with a bunch of men, mm-hmm. I handled it pretty well for myself. But I do know that I have spoke to a lot of women. Like, how do you do it? I mean, how does that go for you? Yeah. But do you guys have any programs in place for women in the oil and gas industry or family-owned businesses or coming or anything that helps them out with things like that? The the short answer is no. Um, I think the bigger answer is us realizing in the oil and gas industry, like most industries, we carry a pretty dominant chauvinism and we don't even know it. And, And it's... I don't want to get too political in this discussion when you even talk about race issues, but when everything started happening, you know, with the George Floyd issues and all that, one of the first things I did was I went and sat down with as many black friends as I had to say, talk to me, tell me what you go through, tell me what you live through. And I thought I knew some of the stories, but I didn't. And, and I had no return answer to the things they told me they went through. And I told you guys the story off air of how our families have come together as, yes. as, as we've had my son. Well, the funny part about my son, when I said, when he was talking about dating this Mexican girl, I said, I don't have a problem if you date somebody who's Hispanic. And he said, Dad, she's not from Spain. She's from Mexico. She's Absolutely. Mexican. Yes. And, so and we do correct that hilarious. a lot. We, people so, say that a lot. You're Hispanic. I'm like, no, no Mexican. I'm Mexican. And so <laughs> we've watched this take place as well. And there is a correct way for all of us to deal with our chauvinism and a correct way for all of us to realize we really kind of do look at each other a little bit differently. And this is a, what are the right words? I don't want to offend anybody, but it's kind of what I do. It's a good old boy industry. It's, um, I agree. Actually, we, we, we've come to the conclusion now, and I do not want to use the word country club in a negative way, but... So it used to be called frat boy economics was mm-hmm. because you would be, well, it was nepotism for a yes. while, cronyism, yeah. frat boy economics. Well, then the women started coming in and then it was sorority, this and that. Mm-hmm. So country club economics is a new one because you only do business with the people in the country club. Building silos is another one, okay? Mm-hmm. It's a click at the end of the day. Yeah. It is, okay? absolutely. It is. And industries can be a click. In Wyoming, they, they, they kick themselves all the time because they only have one Democratic person in the house. And I was talking, I can't remember who I was talking to, I think it was uh, Mark Gordon, the governor there, and he looked at me and he said, Jason, it was so much better when we had three. And I go, well, why is that? And he goes, because then our dumb ideas had a little bit of pushback. Now our dumb ideas go through right away before we even realize it's a dumb idea. idea. Well, because the industry can get into a herd mentality pretty quick. I had a guy tell me years ago, so, you know, I, I came here to start a church in 99 is what I came here to do. And uh, I was in the business world, left the business world, sold the business and everything I had. My wife and I went away to school, came down here, started a church. We grew it to about 5,000 people every Sunday coming to town. And then we retired. But I had a guy tell me, he said, the closest thing to the way God knows something intuitively is how a woman knows something. And dudes just don't like the fact that a woman can be listening in a meeting in five minutes and go, you guys are idiots. And so, it, it, and they're not going to be able to say that until somebody no. is man enough to say, wait a minute, Myra's got something to say that maybe we should be listening to. And in the church world, I had to deal with that because if I ever called a woman a minister or a pastor, you always had good old boy Southern Baptists who said, you can't do that. And, oh, yeah. And, and so you, in every part of culture, and especially when you get into what we would call, what I call the SEC, which is, you know, the Southern part of the United States, 
there's a definition of what a woman's place is in many respects and it's down here in the oil field as well and it's probably up in North Dakota and it's in Pennsylvania and it's in other places it's up to us to realize that we've sort of inherited this there's no way a woman can be as good at this as I am and we're going to have to press past that like in Midland right now we have a female superintendent first female superintendent in Midland ever that's awesome and I sat down with her and I said I'm on your side and I want to tell you something you are going to face latent chauvinism like you've never seen oh yeah and so just get ready and in defense of the dudes they would say I'm not a chauvinist but be careful how you say things and how you facial expressions and one of the things that we're going to talk about this afternoon with the real oil field women is that there's some of these behaviors and actions going on that they're not even aware of Mm -hmm. because you're just kind of still coasting on the momentum you had before but life did change Mm -hmm. and some people's behaviors didn't though even though life changed and so kind of thing and i'll explain that a little bit later but well it's valuing women let me give you an example yeah, yeah let me give you an example this is the dark side of our industry And it's not the industry, it's a byproduct of the industry. We are one of the number one places in the nation for sex trafficking of women and minors. Yes, Yes, that's true. That is true. There is a place here, and it's it's around Midland. I can't tell you where where it is. It's a rescue house for women who have been sex trafficked. And they can, if they can just call, we find them and we go get them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're this, we're this crossroads with, with 10 and 20 and 10 not far from here and 20. But when things ramp up around here, like they're doing again already, you can get on a Southwest plane. And if you're on a plane coming back from Vegas, it's paid for workers, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Who are being paid to come down here. And so there's another side of this where the leaders who are men are going to have to defend and speak out against people who are abusing women in the midst of all this happening when you've got issues happening in man camps and other places. We've got to deal with the dark side that sometimes happens when our industry picks up and it's called integrity and it's called character. And at the same time, realizing that almost as many, if not more young boys are trafficked as women. So when our industry picks up, we also have to be made very aware, hey folks, watch out for people and pay attention to what's happening. And our companies are going to have to get involved in trying to be in, in leaders in extricating this poison from the edges and the dark sides of our industry. And I do want to, oh, go ahead. And it's very dark side. Very, very dark side. Very dark. I, I did want to give you a little preview about one of the things that we are going to talk about is um, with the real oil field women is in the month of March, we featured a woman every day on our platform, a different woman every day doing something in oil and gas. Christy Craddock, the Texas yeah. Railroad Commissioner. Myra, we had, uh, who else did we have in there? We had Attorney General of Arkansas, Leslie Rutledge, because she was leading that lawsuit against the, the federal ban on oil and gas leasing. So we had the top of the ladder, mm-hmm. and we had people just starting out, too. We had somebody who was looking for a job yeah. after after 10 years. So we, we made sure we had almost almost every nook and cranny covered and this is no lie no lie all month long we solicited if you know a woman doing something amazing oil and gas let us know we got four we got four submissions and 20 plus how could you have her in there how could you have this do you know she's sleeping with this guy she's the drama that came in on the emails well we're trying to empower women mm-hmm. was eye-opening to me. Yeah, nobody emailed you and said, what about that dude who's womanizing six other and women that was the home? point. I actually emailed a few of them back and I said, I that find it interesting that you are enabling the married men in power 
that are abusing their power against a single mother. Boy, yeah. this is an interesting yeah. conversation we're having here. Yeah. I am very inspired by you. I'm so Me glad too. that you came on here. Seriously, this is the first time I've felt energized in a long time. <laughs> I was no, I, I I have not been able to sleep because I I reached out to several female leadership mm-hmm. groups and they will not talk to me anymore and they've unfriended everything. Like, oh wow! Oh, they oh. All of trying to find women who are in places of work and leadership in the oil and gas industry? So, what we're trying to do is empower women the best right. we can. We had on Ashley Smith with Truckers Against Trafficking. There this is go. what made me think yeah. of it. So, and we're, by the way, we're not any, no one's sponsoring us to doing this. This is part of our journalism here. This is part of our solution-based journalism and ethical core because this is a real issue. Mm-hmm. So, we grabbed Ashley Smith, who's going around the country talking about Truckers Against Trafficking. We hit two birds with one stone there. We get an awareness on truckers and an awareness on trafficking together. And this young girl is just doing a dynamo job all over the place. So I need to be connected to her because I'm literally taking a board of directors. So the mayor of Midland gets paid $75 a month, just so you know that I'm getting rich on this gig. So you <laughs> I have to know have you're a, in it for the money. Yes, you, you, have to have a, you have to have a career. And so when I retired from the pastorate, I started another business and traveled the country and consult businesses and everything. And so I'm leading a board of directors for this rescuing of women who are caught in trafficking. And I need to get this information from the truckers against trafficking because these are things that are happening here. And we just... There's so many different ways you can take this conversation. But, it, you know, we've joked about Vegas here for a little bit. Vegas has had to come to terms with its dark side. That's not mm-hmm. just rolling dice. Well, I was down there this weekend, actually, when we were talking discussing that. There was a protest going on about tra- sex trafficking. Tons of people right in the middle of the strip. Mm-hmm. You know, real men don't buy women. Yeah. Stop the sex trafficking. Help. And, I mean, just constant things. And I was like, wow, it's amazing what they're doing now in Vegas, that yeah. they're standing up for everything. Yeah, exactly. And they've been forced to. Absolutely. And finally, they're waking up to it. And, and again, I think it's going to be leaders in our industry who understand that when we start churning away and man camps get filled up, this is this just the honest truth. Dudes are away from home. They're drinking too much. Drugs are too prevalent. And, and, and so they think that they can just start hitting up on waitresses or whatever the issue is and bartenders and all that. And and things get dark. I What I think actually the oil companies should understand, especially the ones of shareholders, is that a lot of these employees are representing the company and right. throwing around the business daddy's money or business mommy's money, I guess we got to say nowadays. We used to say business daddy. It's mommy now too. Well, because, oh yeah, <laughs> now, it's, now it's some sort of unisex. Business unisex. But they, that was the thing is that they would be throwing around this money like it was theirs. And their logos right here on their, their FR right. clothing. Right. As they're doing that. Totally. That's and exactly so right. we, we, we bring that up all the time that you need to be careful when you're representing. We bring this up with the whole ESG movement. If you're putting your logo on a plastic water bottle, be aware, if that does not make it in the recycle bin, that might end up on the Google unlicensed imaging for every single blogger, protester out there to use forever. Well, we haven't even talked about ESG, but the reason ESG has exploded the way it has, and I'll say it from the political left, is because oil companies and conservatives who run companies have neglected their responsibility to talk about how we care for the environment, Mm -hmm. how we're socially responsible, and how our governance is not completely all male country club. 
And so when you when you ignore those things that you should have been paying attention to, it's going to come back and bite you in the backside until you pay attention to it. So I hear this debate and discussion going on about ESG, this is bad, this is bad. The reason it's bad is the same reason we started our conversation with. I love it. The re- we started our discussion. She wants saying, to talk too. She wants to be online. She here. wants to talk too. No, whiskey's here. She knows whiskey's here. We uh, said that we lost our narrative as oil and gas people. Businesses lost their narrative because you always have to be taking care of your environment. You always have to be worried about is justice taking place in society, and you should always be worried about your governance and whether or not it's a bunch of country club guys who all just who who just put people on the board they want to say that'll say yes per people. So it comes back. If you neglect your responsibility, the responsibility you neglect will bite you in the rear later. And that's what's happening. And we've got to take the narrative back, take leadership back on all these issues, and then we can start being the leaders we're supposed to be. So I'm going to do a, something very tacky right now and uh, <laughs> pitch, you, pitch you on the air here. So I'm, I'm going to make sure that everybody knows that, <laughs> yes, this is a solicitation. So over there you can see our, our industrial forest banner we have right there next to the Crude Life oh, yeah, Everyday yeah, yeah, Energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, down at the bottom is a stone marker that says Mayor Steve Bakken. He's the Bismarck, Bismarck mayor. He's going to plant the industrial forest. Mm-hmm. They're going to have an actual park in the city. Oh, we're doing it, but yep. we found a, uh, a place in the city. So we're going to have a, a education walking park, okay? Mm-hmm. And we're going to build it with industry. We're going to yeah. use industry and build a forest. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you know this. Fifty percent of the trees that have been planted in the last twenty years by a nonprofit or by a government have died in the first year. So they'll take a picture, put it on Instagram, move on. Well, trees need water for three years, and then for every day, and then for uh, once a week for two years after that. Okay, so we're going to actually use industry to build a network of sustainable forests across the United States with a sustainability shed, a critical pipeline system. We're going to have a barbecue to plant it. We're going to get the kids in the town energized. Okay, and then we're also going to have a five-acre park Mm -hmm. out in the country. But the city park's important because it's going to be a walking education park we are actually going to do one in texas next year and so i would love to have you on board with this in some way and all all mayor steve bakken did is said i'm going to make sure we get it done Mm -hmm. and so he's and that's it just we've we've had three meetings now we've met with the city forester we've met with the north dakota ag director uh doug goring to make sure that we can get all the Everything we need. Mm-hmm. So we're getting closer and closer, but the one in Texas we're going to do. Are you ready for this? This is why I cannot wait. I believe that <laughs> this is what you're trying to do in a different form, okay? Because when you were at that L.A. mayor talking bad about oil and gas event, you reacted. Mm-hmm. And that is what industry is doing. And they continue to react. But you said, I'm reacting, now I'm going to jump ahead of the reaction and take a hold of the narrative. That's what we're trying to do with the ESG forest and the whole industrial forest thing. We're going to grab a hold of the narrative like you're doing with this march to Washington, okay? Or not march, this... Yeah, we're not marching. We're going to This awareness to Washington. We're going to burn some fuel. This, right. So what we're going to do here is we've got two companies that say they can water a park either in Midland or Odessa or between the two, I'd love to see it right in between the two, with frack water. Mm -hmm. We're going to water it with frack water, so that way there'll be a shade park. Mm -hmm. A shade park. Imagine having a walking, (laughs) educational shade park with benches and butterflies and bees and birds and all kinds of stuff. 
in the middle of the desert that is built powered and sustained by industry. That's an international news story in my opinion. It is everywhere except out here in the Permian Basin. Um, And here's why. Please educate me. The fact of the matter is in Midland and Odessa as well as probably a 50 mile radius or a 100 mile radius or a 200 mile radius one of the worst things we've done is try to act like we're a place that has the ability to grow trees and grow grass in a sustainable way and in a way that works. One of the things we've done over, with businesses over the years is because we want to look like Dallas and Fort Worth, we tell people, you got to plant trees. They put in the irrigation and all this kind of stuff. And really, you're just fighting nature. It's why when you go to, yeah. let's, let's keep bringing up Las Vegas, it's why the <laughs> only places that are green in Vegas are artificial grass or golf courses. Mm-hmm, that's because true. all of their resources are there. For us, think about this for just a second. It takes three days for a drop of water that we use in our city municipality water system to get here. We don't even have water locally produced here. We have to buy it. We went and bought fields 75 miles away. So literally, we're, we're hopeful no one terrorizes our water supply. We're still trying to secure water supplies that are almost four hours from here because of how scarce that resource is. And we're not even talking about whether it's gonna be healthy enough with frack water to be able to irrigate. Now, what I would say is this, we have some parks here in town and we're going through a whole redesign of those parks so we can avoid as much watering as possible and create artificial shade because the fact of the matter is it's impossible in maybe two lifetimes to get the kind of shade you're talking about. What I would be interested in is industry saying, well, we can do parks in East Texas or maybe closer to the Eagleford. It might be more re- relevant for us to do it in Pennsylvania. We might could do it a little better in North Dakota. What we should probably get industry to help us with, it could be an inter- international story, is saying there's no other oil producing region in the United States like the Permian Basin, going back to our discussion that has a trafficking problem like we have and therefore industry is going to sponsor all initiatives that matter to rescue women and children who are being trafficked. The park issue is great mm-hmm. and we can plant a stone, but the fact of the matter is you can just drive all over Midland and Odessa <laughs> and what I'm telling you about parks and, and growing these things, it's um, it always sounds good until yeah. it burns up and burns down and it doesn't work. So I'm really glad that you did exactly what you did because that is a great example of me bringing him the planet of platitudes <laughs> and he's bringing me down to the realm of reality yes because that's Which what needs the to be reality done. is but that was a very civil way it was done right absolutely I mean, no, i've been i've been bragging like crazy like we got frat we, we're gonna get it done and i heard a story about some cantaloupe farmers mm-hmm. that uh, had a cantaloupe field here in midland for a Pecos. long time yeah is that where it was and then like one year they forgot to water it and it went away just in it, like overnight just it's gone really, you know it was only 20 years ago when i came here 21 years ago that everybody was still watering their yards like there was no tomorrow yeah. around here they were doing it in odessa you do it in midland and then all of a sudden there was a wake-up call yeah. where people realized oh wait a minute like water is a serious security issue here. oh yeah and and then all of a sudden baseball fields start deteriorating and having to replace everything with artificial turf and, and now it's a, even with the reclamation of frack water and all those things, we're more concerned about reclaiming water, conserving water, and using water for the simple necessities of life and trying to get businesses and residences to not use water for anything else. 
Yeah. And 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 so it's a it's just a different conversation here than it is somewhere else. No, that that's a great. This is a great. You, you're here. Do you disagree with? What no, I completely agree with what he said. Yes. I love the dog. Yes. I, I, I love the dog. Frackleberry Hound. Yeah. Post my pictures of she's, Frackleberry. She's having such a great time. Yes, she well, is. Well, I uh, this was a great topic talk about the uh, ESG and and the forest and everything else because. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to do one in Texas because we've got some land, but we're trying to find a city mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yep. And to know what's going on here, I also heard stories about how out-of-state people would get inherited land. Yeah. And they just let the trees die because what, they had to be watered every day. It's too hard to keep it alive. Yeah, they're not here. So uh, the lesson here is this is not the best place to devote that energy and resources. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. No, there's it's other now. places where it's going to be an easier task mm-hmm. so and more cost-efficient Will task. you help me with that? Find some we'll locations? See. Okay. <laughs> I'll help you with the traffic. You need to help me with the forest. Okay. Uh, what, you got any other questions here? Because you've got to speak here very shortly. So I guess. Uh, yeah, i got to go over there. I guess i 11. Oh, yeah. we got a little time then. Okay, yeah. but not much. Um, I think everything you had to say is very informative and great. And it it's just amazing to me how you're standing in for the oil and gas industry. And that means a lot to us that well, we're born and raised in it. Because my family, I've been in this my whole life. My whole yeah. family has. We have a family business. All my family's in it. Yeah. And you I know, came here with no experience other than I was aroused about when I was in high school. And so when I moved here in 99, when I moved here, the day I arrived, oil was $10 a barrel. Oh, wow. And fracking had not blown up the way it had everything. And, and really, people said, why would you move to Midland, Odessa? Nothing's happening there. And so I've got to sort of live this. And you know the phrase well. It doesn't matter what business you're in. We're all in the oil and gas business. Oh, absolutely. That's just the reality here. And then all of a sudden, you just watch it. And my, my living has been as a communicator. And when I watch companies communicate, you realize they don't even know what they're communicating. They don't value what they're communicating. They don't even value what they do. They just hope to stay under the radar rather than getting ahead of it. And and then you just watch what's happened over the last, through the whole fracking revolution and um, or pressure stimulation revolution, whichever right words you want to use. Mm-hmm. And then you fall in love with this place in a really weird sort of way. And this is home and this is where you've raised your family. And then you watch the industry that made all this possible and you just want to kind of pull them aside and go, get this together because you're being sold out and you can't afford to be. Go back to our grocery store and farmers. It's you can't afford to ignore the farmer. And we no, are the farmers of energy. No, you cannot. So, And it's, I mean, it's been a tough journey. Like me, I was able to come ahead, raise my kids, put my girls through college, through yeah. the oil and gas industry. Right. And I will, I mean, I love what I do and I have a respect now, when I do travel and people ask me what I do, I hesitate a little bit because I've never experienced here lately, like in the past, I've never experienced this till now, where if I say I'm part of the oil and gas industry, like people kind of frown on you about it. Mm. It's everything has changed. We have a it's a couple. I just couldn't believe it. I've never in my 17 years of being in this industry that I say, oh, I'm in the oil and gas industry. And people are like, you're looking. You know, you're frowned upon. Well, I have a, I have a pin that I wear from Alex Epstein called, um, and it says, I love fossil fuels. And when I was in D.C. for the mayor's conference, I had that on my lapel the whole time. Oh. And, you know, awesome. I just want to get in a conversation with somebody because everybody who thinks they understand the issue don't understand. No, they don't. That oil and gas is all a part of their life every single it day. It is. And that's why we don't need to be afraid of it. No, we, absolutely we do not. Exactly right. Of it. At all, we don't need to be afraid of 
of flaring and all these issues because we'll be on the front end of that when we figure out all the recapture issues, when we figure out that because of oil and gas we'll be the most prevalent Bitcoin mining organizations in the world. It, we win the argument. And the fact is, if oil and gas shut down in the continental United States today because of environmental issues, China would blow away all the advances we make in one day because they're going to burn more coal today than the rest of the world combined. Yes, and, and so, you know, everything we do to advance the industry is being set back by China and Russia and even Africa. When we understand we lead the way, we can change the world with that. What's next for you then? How can people help you? Um, get your message across you know we'd lo we'll love to follow your story in terms of uh, getting the word out to Washington if you need any help with any of the people we've known over the years will certainly uh, help you in any way we can not that you need it but well I think know. we do the, the the best help they can give us is if they're in industry and they're in a region where they have a mayor that they want to be involved in this, is they need to reach out to their mayor. They can send me an email. It's pretty simple. It's just the letter P with my last name, Payton, P-A-Y-T-O-N, at MidlandTexas.com. And it's all one word, MidlandTexas.com. I always have to figure out if it's .com or .org. As mayor, I should know that. And then if they'll just tell me, hey, I heard you on The Crude Life, and I, you know, and I want you to talk to my mayor. But the one thing they have to do is MidlandTexas.gov. I knew I needed to correct that. P. Payton at MidlandTexas.gov. We'll have the links up. We will probably need an introduction. Here's what I've discovered about some mayors. They don't return phone calls yeah. unless it comes from an industry leader. I get it. So, like, if mayor of Midlandville calls and says, hey, I'd like to talk to your mayor, usually I don't get a return phone call. That's but the new normal. Can, it's just the way it that's is. That's the new normal. So, it is. Yeah, it's, um, it, that's every industry now. Yeah. yeah. It's just, unfortunately, that's the silos and the yeah. country club economics that we were talking about before. But that's the way to help us. And um, Sad when the government's gotten this. like that, actually. That, that is has. sad. It you has. Know. It's, it's an interesting place. And um, Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you this gift if you can accept a gift. This I is can. a book here. It's called Play for the Person Next to You. Do we have somebody with a photo that I can get a photo of this? Because uh, Hannon is gentleman in the book. So this here is Eric Hatch, okay? Yep. All right. Eric Hatch is a former youth leader, okay, for his church, all right? And he went into real estate, Yeah. was a mid-level realtor at Keller Williams, reinvented the whole real estate industry from his background through service and the church, okay? So he literally was grown up in this church, yeah. okay? Did have a dad. His mom died when he was kind of in his late teen years, and so he just basically, his mom was a member of the church, and so he grew up with this church, right? And he's my son's godfather, and him yeah. and I, yeah, I lost my mom, and a year later to the same day he lost his mom. So wow. we, we spent broken family Christmases together in our 20s, you know, that type of thing. But what he did is in three years, he went from a mid level realtor to the number one real estate agent in North Dakota and he's now 63 in the country wow. and what he did is he he figured out that if you serve people but also don't make people do things that they can't do you got to really hone people's talents so he put those two together and just ripped it right off he goes around the country speaking on that sort of thing awesome. so if you're ever looking for a great speaker he's a great speaker to bring in uh with your background i thought you might connect yeah, with it a little bit because his writing of course comes from the heart yeah. and i think you'll connect cool. in a lot of ways so i appreciate you uh coming in here and uh did he play football somewhere he did not well not as not okay. really no he just um 
when you see him, you'll laugh because he's like six foot five. He's been battling weight his whole life. Um, he's very self-deprecating mm. with, with his humor, and yeah, he's just he's a great, honest man who used honest, hard, ethical work to reinvent an industry. And I honestly, I I really don't see too many people that can do that. And he. Oh, Bad. They did not like him for years, and you know, because well, when you come out of nowhere, yeah, people change do not like when that. You yeah. the game. You're a disruptor, right? Yep. So, it's like women in the oil and gas industry. Oh, absolutely. Disruptors. Is there anything that you would like to see out of your mayor? I'm over? not her mayor. Oh, that's right. You're not. That's right. The mayor of Midland. For all your you friends and family. You never know, I could move to Midland one day. You so. could, and I'd be happy to serve you. I, I'd come this way. <laughs> Speaking on, on behalf of women in this region, what would you like out of, you know, the, the mayors? He mentioned the sex trafficking, which I just think is perfect for a mayor Absolutely. to champion. That is becoming such an issue down in this area. Mm-hmm. And to um, make more programs to stop it, more awareness, yep. and getting it out there is a big accomplishment. Yep. And that's something our whole area should probably get more involved in because it is a huge problem in this area. Yep. Yeah, and it's getting worse because of what's happening at the border right now. Absolutely, and, yes. Uh, you know, the fact of the matter is I was at the migrant camp that we have here and I was talking to the leaders and I said, can you just assure me that the rumors I'm hearing are wrong, that these kids are being trafficked and sex abused? And I, he said, no, I can't. Yeah. can't quell that. He said, it just is what it is. And so all politics aside, the fact of the matter is there's people in desperate need and we can step up as the oil industry and we can meet those needs and we can make some huge changes and um yeah we can i'm just gonna say one more thing about sex trafficking and then we'll conclude here and, and say our goodbyes but ashley smith with truckers against trafficking she said the issue is growing and growing because of the internet okay oh, yeah. that what is happening now is that people are being groomed for months weeks and years and they don't even know it so what's happening here is that they are not the traditional pimp with the feather hat oh, and no. the Joseph Technicolor dream coat color. No, it is women. It is former military people, former police who know how to navigate the system that are really doing this. So this is a bigger problem than I think people are aware of. So thank you for making this a champion issue for you. And please know the Crude Life is here for anything that you ever need for help, and we'll awesome. do the best we can. So. That'd be great. It's uh, Reflection Ministries here in Midland, uh, in the whole county area, and it's Lisa Bounds who's the one who started this whole thing. She's incredible. She was trafficked in college, and uh, it became a passion of hers, and she has done some amazing work. And so we'll connect with Truckers Against Trafficking, and just I think it's important however this conversation got to this that your listeners understand this is not the stuff you see on television and movies this is a well-organized constructed strategic business initiative and it makes a lot of money and destroys women and uh, and destroys young boys and it, it just children children absolutely mm-hmm. i mean from as early as five years old they're starting to be groomed by 12 years old they're being trafficked and it, it should break your heart and it should gross you out and to the point where you're going to do something about it. Well, we thank you for making it an issue. And once again, how can people 
get in touch, help, that sort of thing? Just send yeah, you just an email, go to the, the website? Email is great. Um, and then I have a podcast called No Neutral Moments. They can connect through that and um, no, love to hear from them. No, no neutral, neutral Moments. Moments. All right, we'll make sure we link that up as well on the website. Thank you, sir. This Absolutely. has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. If, if you don't we'll mind, we'd here. like to follow up maybe in a couple months sure. to see how things are going. Check in periodically and yeah, get an update here from the mayor of Midland. Not Myra's mayor. I'm close enough. Not my mayor. Not my mayor. The Permian Basin, the whole area. Permian Basin. I am not the mayor of the basin. <laughs> All right, folks, we'll be back in a moment or two. And you're a speaking later, right? I am. Yeah, All the right. luncheon. All right, well, we look forward to it. We'll be back in a bit, folks. heard on the Food Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecoodlife.com. Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by Orange Property Management. The origins of Orange Property Management date back to the year 2000 when Fargo native Mike Marcel, an entrepreneur who was living in California, was starting to acquire residential properties in the Bay Area as a little side venture. Fast forward to today, Orange Property Management has grown to 36 full-time employees across 13 communities with a portfolio of over 1,300 residential and commercial units ranging from single-family homes to multi-family apartment elements. For more information, visit their website, orangeproperties.com. That's orangeproperties.com. The Crude Life Play Hard, Work Hard is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Play hard. 
Welcome to the Crude Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. Sean Forbes, Jason Spies, Ashley Smith with Truckers Against Trafficking joining us here this morning at the Williston Basin Conference as I get my levels all ready in between. It's a busy show this morning, Sean Forbes. I, th- I feel like there's twice the number of people here today than there were yesterday. Big CEO day today. Oh, yesterday yeah. Yesterday was the that kind of the it. appetizer mm-hmm. where they brought in the uh, North Dakota dignitaries. The B squad, if you will. No offense, but oh. today's the governor and the lieutenant governor, and then Harold Ham, the CEOs, all the big dogs are coming in today and tomorrow. Of course, uh, Mike Pompeo is coming in tomorrow. Former Secretary of State under Donald Trump. So, generally, these conferences give you one day to kind of get warmed up or wind down. So it's either the front end or the back end where they they either do one or the other. And this year it was kind of the front end, but it was still busy yesterday. People were really excited to get back into it. So I think yesterday was probably one of the more successful first days I've ever had at a conference. But uh, Ashley Smith, how about you? Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me here today. How are you doing on this lovely day? I don't even know what Wednesday. day it is. Thank you. Yes. I, you know, pretty good for a Wednesday. Enjoying seeing people, having good conversations, and just learning more about the companies in the area and seeing how we can partner going forward. Truckers Against Trafficking. Yes, sir. Talk to us about that. So we are a nonprofit. We we educate, equip, empower, and mobilize members of the trucking, bus, and energy industries to combat human trafficking as a part of their everyday job. So we do that through free training resources that any company can kind of enter into their system or their safety meetings to really raise awareness of what this issue is and how powerful their employees are in reporting the crime when they think they see it happening. What kinds of training do you offer the drivers? You know, you talk about awareness and things, but specifically, what is the number one thing that they're looking out for? So when we talk to uh, either drivers or energy employees, we're really focusing on where they might see this crime during the course of their everyday jobs and uh, what those victims might look like and what they might not look like. So when you see this on the news, people talk about, you see pictures of people that are in chains or they're fearful or they just acting weird yeah they're they're acting weird and you think that it's going to be really easy to identify but we really focus on some of those key red flag indicators so most people don't know but to in the united states anybody under the age of 18 that is selling commercial sex is automatically considered a victim of human trafficking so they need services so if anybody sees somebody that looks maybe just they're not sure if they're 18 or not the call needs to be made on their behalf. So we tell people to call the human trafficking hotline and that number is 1-888-3737-888. And that hotline, what they'll do is they will either get local services, somebody that can help them if they need help getting out of that situation or if they have questions or they have needs that need to be met, they can help with that. And then they also connect with local law enforcement that is trained on the issue and they know how to handle those cases and help them. So the number one indicator is anybody under the age of 18. And the second one is any evidence of what we call pimp control. So if you see somebody else watching uh, that potential victim, if they're in that area, if they drop them off and pick them up, that is usually somebody that is controlling their movements and isn't letting them leave that situation. What are the statistics? 
So we talk about the problem on kind of a, a global scale. So there are over 40 million victims of human trafficking globally. And the issue is um, it's a greed operation. So traffickers are looking to unfortunately make money and it is a $150 billion criminal enterprise. So it's the second largest criminal enterprise. It makes more money than arms trafficking and it is second only to drug trafficking. With some of the recent wow. changes in um, our government, um, it seems like the border has been a little less restrictive lately. So has there been an increase that you've noticed? So we don't always connect uh, border security with human trafficking. So okay. it is something that is actually more of a domestic issue. So what's happening is that traffickers, they're identifying uh, people with vulnerabilities. So that could be somebody who is food insecure. Maybe they're, uh, they're from an abusive home or their even self-confidence is down and they're talking to people online. So traffickers will actually hone in on that and they'll be talking to multiple people at once and grooming them for that situation. So people like to think that, oh, I automatically am going to say like, oh, it's somebody from another country. My family, my community won't be affected, but they are the, they are part of that demographic that traffickers are looking for. And they can, especially as more people spent more time online these years, they could be grooming untold number of potential victims all at the same time. Do you get much support from the oil and gas operators? We do. So we are fairly lucky that we've gotten to engage with quite a few companies that they see that not only is this uh, the right thing to do, but it's going to help their employees. So they'll train their employees on this issue so that they can keep an eye out for it during work. But then that information ripples back into their home lives. So they're really looking more, they take care of their communities and their families better because they understand the issue. And since they learn about it at work, it's in like that non-stress environment. It's not automatically telling a parent that your kid's in danger to this. It's, this is an issue. Now also think about how this impacts your home life. It's so. a tough issue nobody wants to admit is out there. And so that's why I bring it up because um, just last night, somebody found out I worked in oil and gas at the hotel I'm at. First thing they brought up was Williston, North Dakota, and the story that came out five, six years ago or whatever it was. And these stories just keep coming back, and they always identify it in oil and gas communities. And that's why I brought up do the operator support, because that's a difficult situation, because they're not the ones involved. But at the same time, how much social responsibility is on them because they're the ones with the business, you know, and that sort of, it's a sticky wicket. I mean, so how, how, how is that approachable from, you know, from your company to somebody in the industry? Because I, 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 I wouldn't want to be in your shoes at all. So we, what we talk about and kind of the approach we take is that we know that traffickers, they are they're businessmen. Just like all these people at this conference, they are looking for people that are going to quote unquote buy their services. I never even thought of that. Yeah. By the way, my mind went to truckers because yeah. truckers Truck against stops. trafficking. Yes. Yes. I thought a lot lizards right away on yes. a different level, you know, yeah. and I didn't even think of the Robert Crafts, yeah. the New England Patriots owner of the world, you yeah. know. And so when you think about 
when you think about traffickers, they are going to try to find where they think they're going to be large groups of men. And they're looking for people with uh, money in their pocket, time on their hands. Sometimes they're away from home. So that could be a sporting event. That could be an ice fishing tournament. That could be a conference. It could be out in the field. So we, we approach that with the company saying, hey, you care about the safety of the communities that you live and work in. Let's also worry about the safety on the human trafficking side. So we make sure the training's approachable. It's easy for them to plug and play into their system, whether at a safety meeting or an orientation or their learning management system. So we're just, we tell them the problem, but we also give them part of the solution is provide that training and then we help them on the back end with policy and just language around how they can combat this issue. It's a mask announcement. If anybody would like a mask, they can go to 906. That is four down, five down from us. We are 911. We are the emergency response station here, 911. <laughs> we're directly across from 10 code. That's a bunch of ex-military and cops over there. So we say we're the emergency response station, but go see them if there's a problem. We're five down from Sanford where they're giving out masks. They have some custom rifles, a couple uh, booths this way. So well, I think we're, we're pretty safe. Safe. I think the we're pretty safe. Foundation's right there. He's got a gun. I feel yeah. pretty protected here. So, and if we, we've also got the guys with the drones, couple ones down that they can kind of keep an eye on the situation. Yeah, for they're us. spying though. All right. I love what you said about. Um, I think awareness is the key thing here, right? Like letting people know what to look out for and not only does that translate to their everyday work but to their lives as well especially if they have young children that are on the internet and you know just talking to them about stranger danger right and just interesting things to keep an eye out for i think awareness and so so many things is important so i, lo I love what you all are doing Thank you. Yeah, we see that quite often that it really, it's that ripple effect is impressive because people feel more comfortable talking about this because it's like, oh, I heard about this thing at work. Let me talk to you about this. So right. it's not, uh, I read this scary thing on the internet. It's it's something a little bit. Yeah, let's talk about it before it happens. Exactly. You so. know, before you have to read terrible stories, let's talk about it ahead of time so Definitely. that we can avoid these things. Yeah. Every little bit counts. Yeah, I was I was cruising around the show, and I made it. I think to the end of the first row, and then my t my time was up. I had to come back. Oh, really? Yeah, and I met Ashley, and I thought this is such an important topic, and we need to have you on. I'm very happy you took some time to come out here and, and share this information. Um, do you have just a couple, just uh, uh, indicators that you can share with us that you know that you might. People, if they notice something, that not necessarily go overboard about it, but just be aware that, okay, now that's that's a sign that's not normal. That's going down the path of possible sex trafficking. I'm not trying to insert anyone in anyone else's business, but at yep. the same time, if you see a fire, you got to call 911, yep. right? And I will actually share a little tidbit with you just before we even go into that is that if people think that they see this crime happening, we never want them to insert, insert themselves into that situation. So it's, it's safety first, not only for the person that's viewing this, but also the potential victim. And if it's not a trafficking situation, the person that you think might be the trafficker. So we want everybody to be safe in that space. 
case. So we always tell them to either call the hotline, uh, which is 1-888-3737-888, or if they think it's an emergency, to call 911. So, because law enforcement will be able to open up an investigation in that situation. So uh, my miniature safety moment in there is don't approach that situation, but make that call. And we do have wallet cards that talk about what information to look for, and if you think that you're talking to a victim, what questions to ask. So some of those questions would be, uh, do they get to keep the money they make? Uh, when was the last time they spoke to their family? Do they actually know where they are? So if somebody's in the middle of nowhere out um, at, at a man camp or an oil field, if they can't tell you where they are or how they got there, that means somebody else took them there. So just right. understanding that. And then our two big ones is anybody. Are you safe? Do you need help? Yes. So, but even in those situations, sometimes they don't know how to ask for help or they've been trained to think that nobody's going to help them. So kind of recognizing that they may not be honest with their answers, but if you ask less direct questions, they might feel more comfortable in, in saying, no, I, I don't talk to my parents anymore. Oh, I don't actually know where I am that'll kind of key you in like how did they get here um, so we always and then we always talk about anybody under the age of 18 or any evidence of somebody that you would call a pimp that's by them that's keeping an eye on them and then just signs of malnutrition if they look injured if they don't look well or they're not dressed for the climate so uh, it gets pretty cold up here in North Dakota and if they're not dressed properly why are they dressed that way it's very interesting use of the word pimp in that context, it's the first time that's ever been just so sterile. Yeah. That's, I'm, I, was, I was quite impressed with that, actually. And we, and when we talk about this, people instantly, they think one specific look for pimp. Absolutely, but, I did. But really, it can be, <laughs> when we do our full presentations, we can be up, a woman. It can be a woman. Absolutely. Yeah. a slide of uh, different human traffickers, and you're talking... Um, female teachers, ex-firefighters, militaries, people that are in uh, kind of dignitary positions that are doing labor trafficking of their domestic employees. So it looks like everybody. So you can't say, oh, I'm just looking for this one specific person. You have to look for that dynamic between two people and do they match? Should they be together? Is one fearful of the other? Is one more watchful of the other? All right. So I got a difficult question here before we conclude um truckers against trafficking of course all i can think of is truckers i yes, used to sir. work for a trucking company and so I, i'm very familiar with truckers and some of their loose language if you will and and just the way that it that it goes i'm no problem that's why i like truckers we call it truckers wisdom their trade shows are very unusual they're different uh, how do you compare a oil and gas trade show with a truckers trade show? Have you done a truckers trade show? Oh yeah. Yeah, talk to me about that a what? little bit. Look at look at the look on her face. So she knows what I'm talking about. Well, it's not even that. It's just that. So more recently, we've done uh, the Mid American Trucking Show and Great American Trucking Show. So Louisville and Dallas. And um, I will be perfectly honest. The biggest difference, right off the top of my head, is size. So the one that's in Louisville is, it's huge. It is such a big show, and um, that's. My my last big conference that I went to before everything really shut down so in all honesty and it's just the droves of people so when you think about a conference bringing in groups of people like I'm saying thousands upon thousands of people walking through those aisles so it's not so much the 
the people, it's just kind of the size of those and just understanding that that's a whole population of people that we are working to train that um, what's interesting is over the years, the attendees have become more and more engaged in our mission and want to be more and more engaged in the fight against human trafficking. So we've uh, worked hard to kind of change the hearts and minds of that industry and we're doing the same in busing and energy. I like talking to the guys there because those gentlemen and women, they've got a lot of time on the road, so they think a lot. Yeah. So when they get time to talk, they talk. Yes. And they've got some very unique perspectives. Mm-hmm. I love it. Anyway. So. I think one of the problems with human trafficking is the potential for a money-making operation. It's it's a renewable operation because you can make money over and over and over again, and that's way more popular than drugs. Yeah. Right? In- when we talk about that, people. When we talk about that, people are like, "Why do people do this?" When you think about somebody that has to smuggle drugs into a country, traffic drugs in, they have to keep doing that. They have to keep going to get more supply, and that is a danger for them. But if they have one person and they can add another, if they can keep adding people, they can resell them. So it's that's the scary part, and that's why it's becoming a, a growing problem because people are noticing that hey, this is something that I can make money at and we want to stop that as much as we can. Yeah. Well, how do people get a hold of you if they have any questions or want, are interested in some training? Yes. So uh, we anything can be found on our website. So it's truckersagainsttrafficking.org. So uh, our energy program is listed under our programs tab. I personally can be uh, contacted by email at asmith at truckersagainsttrafficking.org. If that's a bit too long of an email to, to search, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. So Ashley Smith and I have Truckers Against Trafficking listed as my employer. So feel free to connect and we can help your company enact change. Thank you, Ashley. It was great to meet you and I thank you for your service. This is an incredible thing that you've devoted your time to. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. The Crude Life, the most trusted voice in energy. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We are the oil and gas regulator, but we do pipelines and pipeline safety inspections for the state of Texas. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities. We have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It's an important part of what goes on in the state, and safety is is really important, obviously, to all of us. Absolutely. You know, the, the oil and gas industry has always been environmentally focused. I mean, uh, the President Biden's administration, that this is Obama-Biden 2.0 plus, and the rate at which we've seen the executive orders flying off the president's desk is taking America back, taking jobs back, and putting us in a detrimental position. 
But as the attorneys general for a number of states, we are pushing back. Um, from the Department of Transportation, that Permian, the Permian Basin has some of the um, most deadly roads of anywhere in the country. We average a fatality per day. That is absolutely unacceptable, and we need to do better. Uh, we just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. Welcome back to the Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. I am Sean Forbes with TeamForbes.com and OGDirectory.com. Jason Spies is my co-host today. I went out there on my first rig move, and I was like, wow, I'm permitting all these loads, getting trucks going, load go, and I don't even know what half the stuff was. So when I finally got to go on the rig, I was like, wow, I was amazed. I was truly amazed of how this process is. No, I wasn't expecting any olive branch at all. Uh, the Democrat Party has decided that they don't like oil and natural gas, and uh, they were clear that they're going to go after us. I, I don't think that's any surprise. My name is Jenica, and today we get to talk with Amy Andrzak of the Interstate Natural Gas Association of America. Amy is the president and CEO. How are you doing today? I would say my my interest in this arena started more from an interest in politics and advocacy, more so than an interest specifically in the energy industry. Well, the first the, the first advice that I that I want to give is, ladies, put your clothes on, okay? If you want to be taken seriously, put your clothes on, which that's a whole other podcast topic. It's a funny thing when I think sometimes it's just really ironic. I'll, I we used to pull into the office and I would see some of my colleagues driving electric cars and things like that. And I'm like, how do you work for a large oil and gas company? <laughs> pull in an electric car. So, I mean, even us, I mean, even in our, in our circles, we can see that things are changing. Actually, you are on the money. Back in 2014 and 15, when we first started approaching our management team at our reasoning for wanting to engage in ESG is that we had great stories to tell. We all like living the crude life, so. <laughs> Play hard, work hard. Now let's work hard. Michael Maltzer, Rigger. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. Of course, I love the name Rig ER. Now, ER is capitalized, but it's pronounced rigor. And when I first saw it, I thought rig ER, but of course I got corrected. So let's just start off a little bit with the name, kind of the origin and just kind of how you, you, you went about and came up with that and, you know, ended up capitalizing the word ER in there, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. And uh, we have a history about that. And it's very simple uh, because uh, when we think how to name the product um, and uh, the product design, initially for rig equipment rentals. So rig, ER, equipment rentals, means uh, rigger. Uh, it's very, very, very simple. So yeah, and some some people are called rig ER, uh, but um, we prefer rigger. Well, let's talk about what some of the specialty services that you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we providing a software solution uh, um, for oil field rentals and service companies. Uh, starting from uh, service call of uh, initial calls uh, from the client, uh, generating quotes, scheduling um, all the field works, uh, and then finalizing with invoicing. So the entire operations of uh, oil field. Talk to me a little bit about the. You mentioned the software side of things. Of course, that got, that usually has people worried. There's generally 
It used to be this way. It's getting better, and a lot more people are integrating software in, but sometimes it's a little frightening at times, new technology. So talk about the evolution of uh, how technology has been integrating into the marketplace. Absolutely. Um, so Rig right now uh, considered as a uh, oil field operations management software, which includes uh, SaaS uh, uh, cloud-based uh, uh, solution, uh, uh, which usually uh, use as a uh, platform for office workers and mobile applications, which usually uh, use as the uh, field workers. And uh, talking about the entire approach uh, which we see uh, for digitalization, digital transformation of the oil field, we can see um, five different steps uh, or five different stages of uh, that uh, digital transformation. Uh, one is at zero when you have uh, all your tickets, uh, all your equipment, all your jobs uh, in a whiteboard uh, or paper tickets. Oh, no digitalization, digitalization nothing. Uh, and uh, thanks God, uh, the <laughs> nobody nobody use this right now. Most of the clients uh, which we see, they already have some sort of digitalization and uh, some sort of uh, digital solutions. And uh, the second, uh, sorry, the thir- the second level or first uh, stage uh, uh, of digitalization would be uh, very simple applications, desktop applications, which. Uh, uh, become popular uh, five, uh, ten years ago uh, when uh, people start implementing uh, accounting solutions and uh, trying to apply uh, this uh, for invoicing and uh, uh, use Excel spreadsheets for uh, tracking all the jobs and uh, resources, um, manpower and uh, equipment. Um, right now we see that uh, still many of the companies uh, stay at that level when you have uh, QuickBooks and Excel spreadsheets, thousands of different Excel spreadsheets running with uh, for different different purposes, and, uh, in some cases uh, multi multi users. And Excel is not right uh, for, for multi user purposes, so it's it's not the right solution for that. Next step, uh, it's uh, moving everything to cloud and uh, start using uh, rig- uh, start start using software in the uh, cloud so you can you can do it anywhere any anytime and uh, uh, this has uh, become more and more actual uh, especially last year uh, when people uh, start moving even quickbooks to the, uh, and replacing the QBO uh, quickbooks online uh, because uh, you know the office space was not accessible or limited or something like that and uh, fourth level uh, when uh, we going up and uh, adding uh, a telemetry system, uh, business analytics, uh, and uh, connect uh, uh, different and integrate different software solutions and build their one uh, source of truth and uh, understanding how those different pieces of the software works together. And uh, fifth level uh, will be digital twins, big data, all those buzzwords which we usually see as a digital transformation. But to get to that level five, you need to go level one, two, three, four, and then you will, you will be at the level five. couple questions for you, and you can certainly go whatever direction you want. The two I wrote down was uh, big data and centralizing my software, because what I'm doing right now actually is kind of doing what you're talking about. I use a lot of design software and editing software, and so... 
I'm going through all the different kinds because it just seems like every year there's new ones that come out. And I had to go through initially what's known as the big data customization, which is I had to know when to stop. So a lot of times what happened early on with a lot of these oil companies is they knew they had to get in the digital world. Well, then they didn't know where to stop because you can go as far as you want to go with with the data, and that can get really expensive really quick. And the idea is to save money. So let's talk about that a little bit because really what's going on here is you know centralizing some of the software. You mentioned some of the Excel spreadsheets, and that's what got me thinking to where, man, I'm just really kind of trying to eliminate as many things as possible into one simplified solution. And I'd imagine that's kind of coming back around in oil and gas right now. So talk to me about that that balancing of the big data and then also, you know, just kind of turning into the next generation of software. Absolutely. You touch a very, very sensitive point right now because uh, it's a, it's a, I would say the art, uh, how to balance uh, savings and uh, investment to the to the digitalization, because um, not all the digitalization goes to savings. Uh, and uh, again, some, sometimes you see the not the direct savings, but uh, long term savings. Uh, uh, talking about streamlining the processes, uh, getting the uh, data faster, but talking about Big data, it's a very tricky thing because uh, for me, uh, and when we started uh, 10 years ago working with uh, Rigger, and I was a CFO of the uh, rental company, we providing a telecom uh, last mile solution uh, for oil and gas. Um, and uh, uh, we, we start, start uh, talking about big data and uh, I asked guys, uh, to start uh, talking about big data, you need to understand that uh, the big data operates with millions of uh, different records. Do you have really uh, those that that kind of many records in in your database? Maybe to uh, use a big data, you need to have like hundreds of companies uh, are running on the same system. And in this case, you can um, have uh, this. Um, uh, ability to to analyze this big data. However, here uh, we will have another problem uh, to whom this data belong. Because uh, if uh, the uh, company owns that portion of the data, uh, it's uh, not legal to uh, use it uh, even even for a technical analysis. So it's it's a different different question. So in, in some cases, uh, my point that in some cases it's not enough uh, data to qualify it as a big data, that's 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 what we see. But uh, talking about the starting point and uh, understanding where the digitalization can save you money, and uh, we're talking about oil service and rental companies. I would say that a number one thing would be uh, just check the processes and see how you can run your operations faster, because this will identify who will win. Uh, in the next uh, five to seven years, because looks like with the industry will have very different time uh, ahead. It, it will be for sure that um, pressure which we see right now it will growing and uh, the number of work uh, will maybe maybe it will be shrinking maybe maybe it will be not but 
definitely uh, the consolidation of the uh, companies uh, and uh, in the, in the industry. This is what we will see in the next five to seven years. So kind of a different question, but, you know, the oil and gas industry is pretty diverse, upstream, downstream, midstream, salmon stream, trout stream. So all kinds of different streams involved. So I like to ask companies, you know, who is your customer and talk to them right now and tell them why they should be doing business with you. Um, for sure, yeah. Uh, so we mostly work out with the uh, downstream and midstream companies, uh, service providers to, to those. Uh, and uh, the reason why they need to uh, work with us, again, depending on the business goals, if they'd like to grow, if they'd like to stay in the business next five to seven years, uh, you must to go away from uh, paper tickets. You need to uh, um, put as many as 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 much as possible to to the to the one system and synchronize and integrate everything uh, to see the the result faster. Uh, avoid any uh, double entries. Uh, avoid any um, delays in in the processes. So this is what we actually do. So we sit down and analyze uh, processes of each client, and I can tell you, uh, same industry, same equipment. Same side of organization have different processes because the way how you run business is your competitive advantage or disadvantage, and this is this is uh, how the, the the way how you do business uh, will identify uh, where you will be uh, next uh, two to three years. So that is why um, we uh, help uh, clients to optimize their operations. How can people get in touch with you? And what is some final thoughts that people should remember? Um, if you have uh, to digitalize your oil service and uh, rentals, call Rigger. <laughs> that's that's probably the, the main the main thing. That's so, pretty yeah, easy right there, isn't it? Huh? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's easy. So uh, again, Rig er.us uh, and you can find all the answers uh, to your questions, digitalization oh. questions there. www, that's triple W-R-I-G-E-R.us. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. heard on the crude life morning show play hard work hard is by the moody river band interested in becoming a sponsor email studio at the the crude life play hard work hard is sponsored in part by great american mining monetizes wasted stranded and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for bitcoin mining 
Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we pay tribute to the ninth annual Bakken Barbecue happening this Friday, June 18th. From 4 to 10 p.m. in Dickinson, North Dakota, the Bakken Barbecue has raised over a half a million dollars over the past nine years, which is pretty darn good considering it started with just an idea in the thin blue sky. Speaking of blue, this year the Bakken Barbecue will honor first responders as part of its celebration, as well as singer Elma Cook, U.S. Congressman Kelly Armstrong, North Dakota Superintendent of Public Instruction Kirsten Baszler, the Mayor of Bismarck Steve Bakken, Miss Teen North Dakota Alexandria Garcia will be discussing mental health and much, much more at this year's Bakken Barbecue happening Friday, June 18th at the West River Ice Center in Dickinson, North Dakota. But right now, let's get a barbecue tip from one of the past barbecues. Hey, I'm Bram Laster. I live in Cody, Wyoming. Hey, we're doing hickory smoke briskets. I'm originally out of Texas, so that's kind of where I learned and picked up the hard briskets. Why hickory? Well, mesquite tastes like mesquite. <laughs> okay, that makes sense to me. Without giving away any trade secrets, how did you prepare it? Uh, was there a marinade temperature? Yeah, I use a dry rub that's actually out of Texas. It's main ingredients, brown sugar. But I smoke everything at 230 degrees, and these briskets, they run 12, 14 hours. And that was from the past years at the Bakken Barbecue, but this Friday at the West River Ice Center in Dickinson, North Dakota, the Bakken Barbecue, the ninth annual Bakken Barbecue is happening, folks. You don't want to miss it. My name is Jason Spies. I am the MC and energy ambassador for this year's Bakken Barbecue, as well as the host of the Crude Life Daily Update. From the staff here at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. 
change happens no matter whether somebody gets oil or not. Mm-hmm. Well, all the stories my dad taught me She taught me again me personally, he said, I do well in my business and I have minerals, but I'd personally not like to see this come. And I said, you know what, Every it, it may not be as bad as you think. It- she taught me well and she taught me right. She taught me how to see. And so I, you know, swerved for the ditch. Um, I ended up with... Uh, I don't remember how many broken ribs, you know, my lung collapsed, I'm, you know, uh, broke my wrist, broke my shoulder, broke a vertebrae, my foot, my knee, my, um, but my kids were all with me. And But then I understand where ranchers are coming from now that I do ranch it too, where it's frustrating when you've got them going through their land, their pipelines. And, um, We've got roughly 2,100 people homeless in North Dakota, about 1,400 of them unsheltered. She told me about a long, long road. So he kicked his window out and he jumped out and he ran to stop this truck that I had hit. There'd be no one to take my place. One to wear this crown. He gets out in the ditch and he ran in front of the truck and he's waving and screaming and yelling. She told me about the strength that I need and where it could be found. He jumped up on the running board of the truck and he was like, Help, help, mom needs help, call 911. And the guy, like, turned his head away from him. If you're not sharing, then I'm not going to work with you because I won't accomplish my dream, right? And never be way too long. greatness of this country was the fact that we had great leaders and now there's pressure on people to win, get money, do this, cut the system down, the Bernie Madoffs, blah, 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 goes on. We've lost our moral compass. Honestly, we all work for money, you know, so I, I went out there for the money. If you find yourself out there, just remember, you can always come home crazy it's dangerous and I honestly I mean it's gonna be a long time before I let my kids drive on those roads it's not the same as when we grew up exclusive interview industry news environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com